What's going on, everybody? Welcome to the Get the Bag podcast. I'm your host, Gladia Castro. I got my co-host, Tim Park. Hey, fam. Happy Wednesday. Hope you guys are doing great. It's nice and warm out here in LA. Yes, it is. Uh, uh, but uh, again, just want to uh, appreciate everybody who's tuning in. Uh, we have a really exciting show for you guys today. But before we get all into that, don't forget to like, subscribe, follow us on IG. We're on here every week, typically Wednesdays at 8 a.m. Pacific, uh, 11 a.m. Eastern. Uh, but with, without further ado, uh, this is uh, I'm really excited for this guest because we connected over at an event we went to a couple weeks ago. Um, and talking about multifamily, which is something that, you know, Tim and I kind of dabbled in, uh, and, uh, he specifically has done syndications. He has a great story. Uh, he has over 30 years of real estate. He's a, uh, I guess in real estate investment vet, he's been in the game for quite a, a bit. He's controlled a lot of money, 325 million in real estate transactions. He's an entrepreneur an author, real estate trainer, public speaker, personal coach, I can go on and on. He deals a lot with, uh, you know, multifamily, specifically hedge funds, uh, strong personal resilience, deep desire to help others live an extraordinary life uh, as he's helped coach hundreds of investors uh, to fulfill their dreams. So let's welcome Mike Morosky to the Get the Bag podcast. What's going on, Mike? Hey, how are you guys? Good to see you this morning. Glad hey, to meet you. Yeah, thank you so much. I, I know you have a busy schedule. You have a lot going on. I'm really excited to, because uh, I was really uh, taken back when I heard your story and just kind of uh, 30 years. That's a quite a bit. You've been through. You've been through it. You've been through the trenches. So I'm really excited for for people to get to know you. Um, so like anything else, like when we get started with with a guest, like tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, mm -hmm. How you got into real estate? Because 30 years. I mean, that's that's yeah. quite a bit of time. And you've seen it. You've seen it. You've seen you know, it all. The market kind of go up and down. Yeah, 30 years, definitely been in some fire, that's for sure. So, <laughs> um, yeah, I, uh, I got in the real estate business uh, kind of by accident, really. You know, I, I always tell people, I say, hey, I didn't come from a family of entrepreneurs. We had no real estate background. My parents didn't, you know, invest. Uh, and uh, I w wound up in the construction business. And it was funny because I had a... Uh, swimming pool business that I was uh, trying to operate in the Midwest. And it was a constant turnover of employees because, you know, you put people on unemployment, they didn't come back. You spent a lot of time and money training them. And um, I started doing room additions and kitchen and bath remodeling. And then before I knew it, I had this huge company and burned out because as an entrepreneur, you know, we do everything, right? We do all the paperwork and marketing and hiring and firing and bookkeeping. And I was still in the field banging nails. And mm -hmm. I was just burning out, waking up one morning. And at the time I was married, I told my wife, I said, Hey, I'm done. I can't do this anymore. So we sold the company and uh, I went to take a year off, but like any good entrepreneur, you can't ever put anything down or stop running your mind. Right. Right. So, uh during that year, we bought a couple of two flats, house hacked them. Uh, but what's really important is uh, I met a real estate agent along the way who was really successful. And years before, I had heard Jim Rohn say, you know, success leads clues. And I, I'd, that had always stuck with me. So I always tried to pay attention to people around me who did more, who were more successful. 
this guy was really successful. And I went to him. I said, hey, Todd, I think I'd like to go in the real estate business. And he said, oh, I think you'd be great at it. And encouraged me. I went and got licensed. He made me this cassette tape that I listened to over and over and over again. I, I think I totally stretched it out, right, from listening to it so many times. But the fundamentals were so um, uh, instrumental in what I did. I went in the real estate business. My first nine months in the business, I sold 78 single family houses. I was Remax Rookie of the Year. I went on to build a team selling over 125 houses a year, uh, mostly investor-based business. So we really mm -hmm. focused back then. People said, oh, you don't want to work with investors. They you know, are too spotty. They don't know what they're doing. But I was invent investor-centric, right? Mm -hmm. And worked with them and just grew a business from there. Um, and then, uh, do you want to unpack that or you want me to keep going? Or Yeah, I mean, I think, uh, you know, specifically, that kind of led you to, to multifamily, right? Um, so, because I, I know having a background in real estate and, and being an agent and building a team, I mean, that, that um, I think, what, what year was that specifically when you kind of... Yeah, so early 90s, I got in real estate, like 91. And uh, 2005, I saw the market starting to soften and shift. Mm -hmm. And I knew that things were going to be different. I wouldn't be able to keep that production up. And we were selling, you know, well over 100 houses a year for about 12 years. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I had always wanted to go in the apartment business. I, I Back when I was in the construction business, I had watched some local syndicators in Chicago here uh, that grew these huge businesses. And, I, and so I understood this, right? I understood you raise private equity, you marry it with a great real estate deal, you stay in the middle, and as long as everything goes well, Everybody does well. So I said, hey, I'm going to give this a try. I went out. I bought a small 11-unit apartment building, and mm -hmm. uh, I, I syndicated that, and it went relatively well. I mean, I learned a lot of things along the way, made a couple of mistakes. Uh, but from there, I went on. I raised $18 million. I bought uh, $60 million worth of real estate. It was about 4,000 apartments in five markets around the country. Uh, vertically integrated a property management company managing 7,500 units. So I built a hundred million dollar company in 30 months. Mm. Um, so that's, wow. that's how I got into family. Yeah. Now, did you, um, were you still doing residential when you got your first multifamily or how, how did that work? Yeah. Great question, Tim. I, I actually did do a little bit more residential. I had a team, so I really started to focus on the apartment stuff myself and my team kept selling residential mm -hmm. and uh, we I, I got my first two syndications done and I said, Hey, there's something here. And we started to all kind of, kind of shift. There were seven of us on a team. And so I had a great support staff to begin with and uh, administrative staff and we just kept going in that direction so yeah yeah and, and, well i was going to add in terms of syndication because a lot of people don't know what that means right. um yeah. to like what what led you to syndication did you kind of really have that knowledge or do you kind of consult with uh, mentors to kind of put a deal together yeah so like i uh, you know like i mentioned i i watched a couple other syndicators right. in chicago and I understood you just raise capital from people who want to be in real estate and you marry it with a great real estate deal. 
you know, right. it, it was nothing fancy. I didn't do anything fancy. And, and I don't necessarily know that the business is really fancy other than that. Right. right? It's a group of people coming together to uh, participate in a real estate, in a piece of real estate where everybody can make a profit and participate in tax advantages and participate in cash flow and participate in long-term wealth. So it's about, you know, creating, you know, offsetting today's inflation and creating long-term wealth for yourself, right? Yeah, so um, I know it was back in the 90s and then early 2000s, I think you were saying about, I think your first, you know, kind of uh, apartment deal. So can you tell us, you know, more about like, during that time in real estate and what was some of the challenges of, of, you know, getting into a multifamily and then uh, syndicating a deal as well. It's kind of funny, Tim, because I'm kind of the type of individual that I don't look at challenges, you know, I just mm-hmm. kind of run through them. I'm a, I, I'll run through a brick wall to get something yeah. done. <laughs> I love it. So, you know, just my first deal, I, I went and, put this thing under contract. And I was so excited about it because I didn't know what I was doing, but somebody was going to sell me an apartment building. So Mm -hmm. I put this thing under contract for what I thought at the time was a great price, right? And learned later that it wasn't. I made those buying mistakes early on. And I wound up, uh, I said, okay, so now how am I going to raise money? I had no idea. I didn't know anybody. My family, my friends didn't have any money. And so I said, let me do this. I put an ad in the newspaper, in a classified newspaper wow. section. And all it said was real estate investors wanted my phone number. My phone rang for about seven days. I spent $45 on that ad for four days. And over six months, I raised $700,000 from that wow. one. And I, I don't think you could duplicate that today because there's, right. you know, um, real estate investing is so popular today. But then I started doing seminars in my office and and working, building my database more and work going to my investors in the database and just raising capital from it. And, you know, we were, we were doing these syndication deals and people were, were participating and having, we were having great results. Cash flow was great, you know, but then 2008 rolled around. And, you know, anybody that knows what happened in 2008, it was like hitting a brick wall in a freight train at 200 miles an hour. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, And how did the, that multifamily climate change then? Because you, you already kind of noticed the, the market was softening, you, you said, like around 2005. So uh, was it something that you kind of forecasted as well? Or I think like many people, they kind of didn't know how, uh, difficult was going to be until it kind of just started happening. So how did your, um, cause I'm sure by that point, maybe you've done a, a couple deals. How, how did those kind of pan out, uh, throughout the 08 crash? Yeah, great question. So 2005, I saw the market shifting, softening, didn't really know what was going to happen. Went into the multifamily space. 2007, I closed 2,200 units. I, we, we took on 2,200 units. And I always tell people, I say, hey, we grew way too fast because during 30 months, we brought on 4,000 units. And I thought I had a good team behind me that was supporting and 
stabilizing things and getting construction done. And I just kept running forward, growing this company. Mm-hmm. 2008, you know, the residential market just went to hell, right? Uh, you had all this bad Wall Street paper. You had people that were, um, were you could get a mortgage in 2008 at 125% of what your house was worth. So if I, if I was going to buy a house, I could walk into the bank, get a mortgage for $125,000 on that house, put money in my pocket and walk away. Everybody was over, over the top on that's crazy loan to value, right? Banks were throwing money at people. And so uh, that started happening. But my thought was, hey, all these people are going to lose their houses in foreclosure. Mm-hmm. They're going to still need apartments, right? They're going to need a place to live. So I kept running at the apartment business. One of the things I didn't check was um, employment diversification in markets. So mm-hmm. we had a big portfolio in the Ohio Valley uh, area. And I'll just use this as an example. Um, in the Ohio Valley area, you had two main uh, employ- employers. You had transportation. So you had DHL and Federal Express and UPS that were really big in those markets. And you had uh, car part manufacturing companies. So these were the little manufacturers, the mom and pop shops that made knobs for radios, plastic mold injection, dash- dashboards. They made the beading for car seats. So what two industries got hit the worst in 2008? Transportation um, and automobile manufacturing, right? Mm. Right along with real estate. So all those people went, all those small businesses went out of business. Everybody lost their job. Nobody could pay rent. People moved out. We had, we had people move out of apartments in droves. So what happens is you lose your revenue. Your NOI drops, right. you can pay mm-hmm. your bills. So all of a sudden, here we are faced with this economic adversity. By 2010, we had totally come off the rails um, mm. because of the loss in revenue, the loss of income. We'd gone back to a few banks, tried to you know remitigate some of the loans. We got reductions in interest rates. We even got uh, uh, principal reductions in in uh, in some of our loans. And it just wasn't enough to weather the storm. Mm. So, uh, you know, I, I probably at the time had 12 uh, deals that I should have just let go to foreclosure, but I didn't. Um, I tried to save all my investors, save all my property. And I should have just let those deals go to foreclosure, let a few investors get hurt. We probably could have rode out the storm, but I tried to save the company. So what I started to do is I started to move money back and forth between profitable to non-profitable companies. Um, my accountant and my attorney both said, hey, it's okay to do that. Just leave a paper trail. When the markets bounce back, put the money back. Uh, it sounded like a great plan. So we were doing that. Uh, you know, my thought was, hey, this is just a recession. It's going to last 17 or 18 months. The markets will bounce back and maybe there'll be a 10 or 12% correction in the marketplace, you know, goes to my, my history in the business. I, I had gone through a couple of recessions. I came into the market or came into the business right when a recession was ending. Right. And, um, you know, it, it, it lasted seven or eight years. 
and it crushed a lot of people. Mm-hmm. So because I didn't tell my investors, though, what I was doing, I wasn't transparent. I wound up uh, getting in trouble and I, I wound up being charged on wire fraud and mail fraud charges and got sentenced to 10 years in federal prison as a result of it. For, you know, when we take other people's money, Tim, uh, if you gave me $10 mm-hmm. and, you know, I'm held at a much higher standard than the the average person out there, you're looked at differently. You're looked at through a different lens. Mm-hmm. If you are not uh, being very transparent about those investments and about that, that capital, um, you know, you, it's very easy to get in trouble. So, you know, we rode the storm out as long as we could trying to move money back and forth uh, and wound up, you know, I wound up being charged on wire fraud and mail fraud charges and, and I got t- sentenced to 10 years in federal prison as a result of it. Amazing. That's, it's crazy because yeah. we heard it. We heard your story, obviously, uh, a couple of weeks ago. And, um, you know, even hearing it like you, you don't really hear many people share these sort of things or yeah. um, obviously we'll, we'll talk about the bounce back after the fact. But I, I'm sure finding that out like it just kind of like the, the emotion, the emotional roller coaster. you have a, a family, right. And like mm-hmm. what, what that does to your men, like talk about mental health and like dealing with that. And you served the full 10 years, right? Uh, eight, but eight years. You, you know, here's, here's the five mistakes I made along the way. And, and if people would just take heed to that today, because of the environment we're in, I grew away too fast. This America mm-hmm. is not a friend. You know, you don't have to grow too fast. It's very unstable as a company because of that. I was over leveraged. I owned $60 million worth of real estate at 85% loan to value. And I always yeah. say, I don't know who was worse, me for taking the money or the banks for giving it to me. Yeah. <laughs> I was undercapitalized as a company and I didn't pay attention to the KPIs, those key performance indicators, mm-hmm. right? You know, where were we at? If, if, uh, I, I think if we'd have known better where we were at at the time, we might have been able to mitigate the storm a little more. But, and then most important, I, I didn't listen to people around me. And I think we all mm. need to listen to people around us, especially spouses, um, significant others, because I think they see things that are going on in your life that you might not see yourself. Mm. And, if, you know, if I just would have listened to my wife and an attorney, um, about some other things happening in my business that I didn't notice or didn't care to notice, mm-hmm. um, you know, things might've been a little different, but Hey, listen, I, I, I believe today it's not what happens to us. It happens for us. What happened? Mm-hmm. Right. Right. So the lessons I learned from that are incredible and, and are taking me on a path and a journey today that I never thought I would have been able to participate. Yeah. I, I think that's really important that you share some of the things that you, you know, you think the five, basically the five keys that you took away from that situation. And, and you did ask your accountant beforehand, you did ask, you know, some people to make sure that you were covered, right. Which you thought you were um, at that point. And um, so, it, you know, we, as investors, as people getting into real estate, 
just make sure your your circle knows you know ask ask your circle whether it's like you said your spouse or uh, people around you or even um, your attorney um, your mentor um, you know your business partner whatever it is is that you know have have things discuss things and make sure that you know either you're on the same page or or you know you know, making sure that you have all your bases covered basically on that. Right. And the team and the team too. I mean, you had a whole team around you as well. And I'm sure you trusted these people who were part of your train of your team. And so uh, I think just, uh, I don't know what happened to them after after the fact, you probably haven't heard from them since Um, probably ghosted you, but I think that's why it's so important to vet out the people that you do bring along your team um and sometimes it's like you know you find out the hard way unfortunately for you but you know it worked out like you said i I, i'm a firm believer everything happens for a reason Mm -hmm. um but but tell us because i know uh and you know i appreciate you sharing that because you know again not you don't really hear that quite often but tell us like from the time you spent in prison like i i know you wrote you you know wrote a book and you can talk to us about like the just from a mental aspect like what that was like and like, you know, coming out of prison and, and adjusting to all that, it's just a whole ton of transitions and adjustments. Yeah, it sure is. And, you know, Hey, I went in and, you know, I, I always tell people, I say, I never flew private. I didn't have a boat. I didn't have a big house. I didn't have a fancy car. I was, I was a neighborhood baseball coach. I was home every night for dinner. Mm-hmm. Um, and I got ripped from that to live in a 12 by 12 room with three men I didn't know, nor did I like, wondering what the hell happened in my life. Mm-hmm. And, um, uh, you know, I walked around every day, like, you know, just in this world of how am I going to get through today, much less 10 years. Right. And, um, you know, I walk in, in, in I, I'd been in prison for about three weeks. My wife divorced me. It wrecked me. Um, and I just couldn't get my arms around life. Right. There were some people uh, that were in prison that walked next to me, that lifted me up, that helped me, that helped me get through that first six, 12, 18 months until I finally got my head on straight. Right. Mm -hmm. I was probably in prison like six weeks and um, I walk into gym one day and, and I always tell people, I say, Hey, I was just window shopping. I wasn't looking for a weight. I wasn't looking for a treadmill. And I'd gone from running marathons to being 35 pounds overweight. I absolutely hated myself. But I walk into gym one day and this guy walks over to me. He was probably 20 years younger than me. And he said, um, uh, hey, don't let these people beat you. All they want to do is take from you everything you've ever known. They can take your business. They can take your money. They can destroy your family. But what they can't take is who you are and what you're made of. They can't Mm -hmm. take what you have in your heart and in your head. He goes, you can get all that back. He goes, all you have to do is get through this time. He goes, look, come to my class every day. Start working out. You'll start to lose weight. You'll start to feel better. And, you know, I think we're faced with defining moments in our life that we have a choice that we can either say yes to or no to, right? But somebody, like, flipped the switch that day. Mm -hmm. I, I said, okay. And I don't know what, I still to this day don't know what made me say, okay. But I started going to this class. I started working out. I started losing weight. 
Um, I wound up going to college. I got a bachelor's degree in theology. I wrote two books. I wrote a book called Exit Plan, which is your complete guide to multifamily investing and why you need an exit plan before you buy. I wrote a book on property management. I wrote an ethics course. I taught prop, I, I taught real estate investing, property management, and ethics in prison for six years. I was on an outreach program. I go in the community and tell my story to business, small business owners and local college students. Mm-hmm. I happened to meet a professor from the University of Minnesota, and he and I co-authored a paper together that we had published in the Business Journal of Ethics that gets taught today at the collegiate level for forensic accounting and sales and marketing classes. I came home in 2020, the week they closed the world down from the pandemic. That's so crazy. I went from wow. one prison right into another. <laughs> oh my goodness. Right. Yeah. But at least you were free. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. And uh, uh, I thought, you know, I'm going to go into coaching and training business. So, you know, about six months out, I started doing coaching and training. And uh, one of the things that we do in the multifamily business is we, we deeply analyze or underwrite deals. So I said, well, I'm going to have to figure out how to do that again. So I started underwriting deals and uh, pulled my old tools out, and, you know, started calculating and looking at deals and building broker relationships and getting deals sent across my desk. Well, I found a deal in Florida and I went to two of my coaching clients and uh, and I love coaching people who want the business as bad as I do. Mm-hmm. We wind up partnering together and and doing deals together. But I went to these coaching clients and said, hey, I think we should do this. And we, we tore it apart and looked at it. We wound up buying this deal. But along the way, my securities attorney said, hey, uh, I think I can get you approved by the SEC to go back and, and be an issuer of securities. I said, mm. have at it. So we never talked about it again. Like three months later, she comes to a partner call one morning and um, it says, hey, look what I have. And she had a written approval from the SEC. That said, I could go back and sponsor deals, raise capital, be an issuer of securities again. And, um, you know, it was like an amazing turning point in my life. You know, not everything's perfect. I, I hate what I did, right? I, I broke the law. I hurt some people. I feel terrible about that. But today my life is about helping people learn mm. more, grow more, do more, Um I feel that, you know, I provide hope and inspiration because I don't want people to feel like they have to be defined by their past. Right. Right. I think, hey, I might have been in a prison behind a wall, but so many people are locked up in a prison in their own mind, uh, whether yeah. it's addiction or whether it's, you know, sexual abuse or, or uh, verbal abuse, you know, whatever it could be. Um People need to understand that you don't have to be dictated by your past. That yeah. you can move forward. You know, uh, Gladia, you kind of mentioned something about people don't talk about this, right? Right. And I, I was locked up with a bunch of real estate people that mm. um, came home and they won't talk about it. One of my mm. best friends, we've known each other for, for 25 years. We wound up running into each other in prison because he got in trouble. Um but he's at home and he won't talk about it. He doesn't oh. want to let people to know. People came home and they've changed their names and they're doing, you know, they're working at Walmart. They're, you know, so I want right. people to understand, don't let your past define your future. Yeah. So. 
I, that's yeah. so that's so key and i think it's it's the work you did in prison on mm-hmm. yourself that probably made it i mean yeah you transitioned you you got out when it was like the world shut down but that's still that work you put in on yourself and like working for others really it was seemed like it was a smooth transition into coaching into getting yeah. things right because you got your mind right first and i think that's a great tip for anybody out there is like once you get your mind right like it the world it, it, everything's effortless it's endless the opportunities that, that come mm-hmm. out of you so i think it's it's also um the work that you that you did you know while in prison uh because like you said some people probably didn't do that and so you come out to the real world and you're just like oh where do i even go oh i'm I'm the victim this sucks and you end up you know having to pick yourself up start off from ground Mm -hmm. zero so i think um that's a great tip for anybody that feels like they're in a prison or feels like you know their mind's not right get your mind right right first and the rest will kind of fall into place so i I love i love that i think that really probably did help um to to where you're at now yeah thank you yeah. And, you know, I think um, real estate gave you, I mean, a second life too. Like it, it, you, you learn from that. You, you learn what you wanted to do, kind of educate people on what not to do. Um, you've had this abundant experience of, you know, residential and then also now multifamily, you wrote books. Um, and then, you know, I think, a lot of people that leave prison for whatever reason um, and get out feel lost. Uh, and, um, right. and I think real estate would give them, I, I know people that are in our group that, um, you know, have gotten out of prison and got into real estate and gave them a second life and gave them a purpose hope. as well. Yeah. Hope, yeah. hope was a big one, you know, and um, for them not growing up in in the right areas or being exposed to real estate in a way, um, you know, uh, like I was as well, too. So I think, like Claudia said, it just gives, you know, people that hope that they can make it because life after prison, getting a nine to five job isn't really uh, something that, um, you know, people want to do or they get treated totally different. So, um, being in real estate, doing it, being your kind of own boss type of thing and getting into that, I think is, is a testament of people that they can and give them hope, you know? And, um, I would ask for you is like, you know, for someone that doesn't have much, um, to work with, what really advice would you give someone that is starting into, uh, maybe getting into multifamily real estate, or what would you say, um, you know, how would they get started? Um, would, you know, um, would they get a mentor or do they just need to kind of get into a program or what's your advice on, you know, for someone that's kind of starting out? Yeah. So um, partner with a, with a team, you know, get, figure out what you're really good at, you know, like, there's there's 13 different things that happen in a multifamily syndication. Figure out which part of those you're really good at and then go take your skills to somebody else. Um, I would tell people, go get a coach. There's a bunch of coaches out there. 
Mm -hmm. Go get a coach for yourself. Somebody who can walk you through all the fundamentals, hold you accountable to taking action and pushing you forward. You know, uh, I, I do coaching, but you know, you don't have to use me. You, there's plenty of people out there that you can coach with. Um, I'm not an advocate of a 40 or a $50,000 program either. I think if yeah. somebody has that kind of money, they should, you know, find a coach that they can pay less to and put money in a deal and, you know, be part of a deal passively and see how that works. Right. So I, I'm an advocate for, for that as well. But, you know, it really, it's about getting the education, but education only takes you so far. It's the sure. action you have to take. I was going to say. In order to yep. be more successful. 100%. That's, yeah. that's a great tip. And, and uh, you know, we, we were part of a wholesaling program. That's kind of how we got started. Uh, and one thing I've learned too with wholesaling is you learn how to get in front of sellers, right? How to market direct to seller. Um, so if you can kind of utilize those skills, you can really replicate it in marketing out to multifamily owners as well, as well as like, you know, uh, collaborating with brokers and such. Um, but one of the biggest things uh, that we promote in this program is also JVing with each other. Mm -hmm. It's like, get in touch. Who's the head uh, wholesaler in this market that you want to be in, whether it be virtual or your own and partner up with them. So I, I do mm -hmm. agree partnering up with people that know what they're doing, have done it before. Um, and then, yeah, finding how can I add value? I think that's always the, the biggest thing uh, for that. Uh, but I, I did kind of want to ask, cause you know, you, you kind of going back to your story where you transitioned, uh, found, found a deal. How are you adjusting now over the last couple of years that you're out, been out of prison, you're coaching obviously, but the kind of deals that you're working on now, um, how many deals have you worked on and, um, you know, so far and how is that going? And um, yeah. maybe a kind of piggyback question that is like, you know, with the market as well, kind of shape mm -hmm. changing. Yeah. So with the market changing, I'm, I'm extremely conservative. I don't know that you'll find somebody as conservative as I am um, because I'm gun shy too. Right. Mm -hmm. So I, you know, I had somebody say to me one day, Hey, are you raising capital yet? And this was a couple years ago. And I said, no, I, I don't think I'll ever raise capital. And they said, wow, why would I trust anybody other than you or somebody like you? Because you've already made the mistakes. You know what right. to look out for. And, and I kind of, I think I know what to look out for today. You know, yeah. um, so we did a deal in 2021, right at the, in December of 2021. And, um, didn't do anything except look at deals in 2022. We, and this goes back to conservativeness. We underwrote, my underwriter and I underwrote 90 transactions for a billion dollars in uh, product to go to write seven LOIs, letters of intent to purchase, yep. and, um, you know, get to the, get to the altar seven uh, uh we wrote 10 lois got to the altar seven times three times um we were the in the final final round uh to walk away from deals for 300 400 000 because they just didn't make sense any higher than where we were so i'm very conservative we actually were doing a deal right now it's in in tulsa oklahoma it's a huge booming market um I think we're there before the smart money's there. And I think yeah. as soon as some of the big players figure it out, it's going to, 
you know, it's going to open up even more. Um, but we're buying 277 units of five property portfolio. And hey, we're assuming five mortgages at a blended rate of 3.6%. You know, I had an investor tell me the other day, he said, even if you guys screw up, it can't be that bad with that interest rate. You know, mm -hmm. I'm like, mm -hmm. well, we won't screw up, but you know, you're right. So, you know, it's a big CapEx uh, project. We're going to go in, put, you know, over 2 million in, in capital improvements. The current owner is an awful owner. Um, we'll go in and uh, uh, straighten out the operations, be a four and a half year hold. Um, you know, that interest rates that we're assuming are uh, fixed rate for eight years. So that'll give us the opportunity to um, uh, get out at about four and a half years because we think somebody else will want to assume those interest rates. Sure. Mm -hmm. and, um, uh, you know, our investors, you know, have, have a great opportunity for, uh, you know, a 7% preferred return along the way with a pretty decent back end, not to include, you know, not even including the, the tax advantages that they get to take. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. big depreciation value on this one. Now, is that more of a, um, it's a value add, what asset class was that at? Yeah, it's a C-class uh, product. So four of the assets were built uh, like in the late 70s and one was built in the uh, early 90s. Um, but it's a C-class asset. Got uh, it. Yeah. That's great. Um, you know, and I know that, you know, getting into, you know, the deal and, um, you know, talking to investors, what potential pitfalls or risks that you think um, people should be or investors should be cautious about in venturing into multifamily? Yeah. So, um, you know, you want to maybe just look at the market a little bit today, right? Um, I think that you've got brokers that are bringing deals to the market and listen, I'm not bashing brokers. Everybody's trying to make a living. Right. Brokers that are bringing deals to the market still on pro forma basis. Hmm. So they're trying to mm -hmm. you know, they're trying to sell you a deal where you have to do all the work. And then two years from now, you can start at zero making some money yeah. and sell you the right, dream. Right. 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 And, you know, listen, I, I'd love to sell deals like that all day long, too. But, you know, as a buyer for my investors, I need to make sure that I can, you know, give them a return. And I can't do that based on a pro forma basis. So you need to watch right. out. For that. The other thing is leverage. Um, you, you know, do not go into these deals over leveraged. You know, I say, you know, 65 percent um, to 70 percent at a minimum. Uh, you know, I was 85% LTV on all my deals. I was, it right. was just crazy. It was brain damage. Can't pay mm -hmm. your bill. So, yeah. um, and so, you know, those are, are two key principles and then make sure that you're asset managing, right? You know, there's that difference between property management and asset management. Mm -hmm. Make sure that you're paying attention to the KPIs and that your, your boots on the ground are doing the work they need to be doing. Right. Yeah, I think that's so key with the pro forma. Uh, I mean, we're we're dealing with that too with the brokers uh, we're working with out here in LA uh, that are like, this is a great deal. It's uh, oh, a yeah. right at this and that. And 
we punch the numbers and it's like, mm, are you sure about that? It's like that meme. Are you sure about that? Um, so I, I think it's, this is why partnering up, if you do get into multifamily is like partnering up with people that you trust and obviously having an underwrite, you have an underwriter yourself. And that was going to kind of be my question is like, what, uh, what's kind of your, your process? Like, I don't know how big your team is right now uh, that focuses on the acquisition side. Like walk us through what that process looks like. Yeah. So, um, so I've been underwriter that, uh, uh, God, you know, I've been working with him now for about a year. He came to me as a finance major at TCU, really smart young guy. Um, and he said, Hey, I want to learn how to underwrite. And I started teaching him and we started sourcing deals and we just started looking and we work really well together. He'll look at a deal, bring it to me. We'll tear it apart. And, um, you, you know, and now we're at a point where he understands what makes sense for us and, you know, we'll, we'll only look for that product, right. Mm -hmm. You know, CB product that value add that's garden style, so many units, so much per door, you know, those, those types of things. And we, right. I'm a market driven investor. So we only look in markets that make sense. I don't right. do anything in Chicago and you know what? I don't do anything in California, you know, yep. not many yep. do. I don't, I understand. Yeah, I, know. I don't blame <laughs> you. Yeah. That's, um, sorry. But I love Florida and I love Atlanta, Alabama and I love uh, Georgia and Texas. And now we love Oklahoma and Northwest Arkansas. So, you know, there's markets that, that make sense. Um, then uh, we have a partner that is kind of our compliance, you know, keeps us legal, keeps us honest takes care of all the investor documents, investor portals, uh, insurance, funding, all the details, utility bills, all of that. Just somebody who keeps the ball running, right? right. Um, that's a, a really good partner. And then, and then we'll partner with someone who's a key principal, somebody who has the buying power to sign on a loan that has assets under management that's bank approvable and, you know, uh, bring that person to the to the table also. So that's what really makes up our core team. And then depending on how big the asset is, you know, we may have to bring people in to help raise capital mm -hmm. and, um, you know, be part of the GP team. And then, you know, the asset management piece, we always uh, will third party management. So we'll hire a company to manage that asset. So it's kind of how our team looks. You know, multifamily is a team sport. It's, it's yeah. you know, I, and when I think back, I my old company, I had a company, I had people working for me and they did the same thing, but I paid them on a salary. Now people, mm. you know, now you kill what you eat or you eat what mm -hmm. you kill. Right? Right? <laughs> yeah. right. So everybody participates. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, quick question too, is that like, what's the, uh, so for people that don't know, what is the cap stack for, um, you, you know, like one of your deals. So how is that broken down? Yeah. So um, normally, you know, we do an, a, a 70, 30 type deal structure, right? So 70% mm -hmm. goes to our investors. That's that lion's portion, uh, a class investor, a class shareholders in the deal. You know, they own the real estate through the LLC. Um, right. we're, mm -hmm. we're on the B class side. We own 30%. Um, but when you talk about capital stack, you know, um, generally we're going to be 65 to 70% LTV. 
The okay. rest will be equity. From time to time, you might stick some preferred equity or bridge equity, you know, bridge loan in there for, for capital improvements or something like that. Um, I'm a simple guy. I don't like to complicate things, you know, right. uh, because I think that, that you lose a lot in, in the midst of that. Uh, so I like to, you know, I like, Hey, equity debt, our portion as the, as you know, being the GP side and, right. you know, simple capital stack. I don't like waterfalls. I don't, yeah. you know, it's a 70, 30 deal, you know, anything over the pref, we split 70, 30, you know, so, um, it's, I, I I'm simple because yeah. too many investors get caught up in, yeah. So what, you know, if you're trying to do a waterfall or something, too many investors get caught up in, Hey, you know, so tell me again, what happens if, if you hit 8%, then what is, what happens to the split? And, you know, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it's, it's to be brain damage. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I understand. For sure. And that's, you know, I, I think keeping it simple like that is the smart thing to do. Um, Cause yeah. when you get too many investors and in dilution and stuff, it's just, it gets, um, uh, it gets messy. a lot of hairy. Yeah. yeah, for sure. Yeah. Messy is a good way to put it, Gladys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Things, things can get quite messy when you get, yeah. Like you said, I get a good, big pool of people. Uh, we do have a question here and I'm sure with the, uh, multifamily i don't know if if the tenants that you do have in your uh all the doors that you own um are section eight is that something that you involve with or uh maybe depending on the asset class maybe maybe not uh just curious since there's a question about that so i'm not in the affordable housing space i'm not in the tax credit or light income tax credit space right uh we're market rate rent and the reason i right. like that space it's because I get to raise my rents. Right, know? right. So if I'm if I'm in those other affordable housing spaces, you you're restricted to bond deals or tax credits, things like that. So right. um, again, I'm a simple guy. You know, give me something I can raise my rent, create more revenue, and you know, um, add more value to the property. So right. um, we do do Section Eight though. So um, you know. 20, 30% of our tenants in a particular property could be section eight tenants. And mm -hmm. Right. I don't have any problem with that. You know, my mission as an operator is to provide safe and secure housing for my tenants. Yeah. I think yeah. there's a lot of single parents out there, single moms, especially. And mm -hmm. I think it's probably because I got raised by a single mom that, you know, they're at work. They want to know that when their child comes home from school, that their door is closing behind them and they're not getting hassled or chased down the mm -hmm. hallway or, you know, tried right. to sell drugs or guns. And uh, so I want to provide that safe and secure housing for our tenants. That's, That's good. great. That's yeah. Awesome. And I think, um, you know, with the, you know, which is why you don't look into California, which you know, we're, we're dealing with a few deals, yeah. looking in, you know, dealing with uh, tenants and the issues mm -hmm. there and legislation and such. And uh, I mean, it, it just varies. I, I think like you put it perfectly. I keep things simple and simple being, I know what I want. This is exactly my criteria. Nothing's going to deter me off of that lane. Uh, whereas some people, that's their bread and butter, right? Is affordable housing. They have a whole process where it's like, okay, maybe I'm not going to add all these extra amenities. I'm building a, a you know, complex, but we're limiting that 
due to, you know, and, and just understanding, right. And you're underwriting, you can plug that in. So I think that's really key for people as well is like, uh, understand what it is you're looking for and why, again, you should partner up with somebody who understands that too. Cause you can't just be like, well, I want to do this and I want to do that. And that, uh, that, you know, you kind of lose focus in that sense. Cause I think that happens a lot. Yeah. <laughs> I think, uh, <laughs> we have a special guest on here. Yeah. Yeah, I, uh, I, I just want Stephanie to know that Stephanie's my favorite realtor in Long Beach. Right? <laughs> we have to bring that's her awesome. on here and send her the, yeah. the guest link. Um, that, that, that's hilarious. Um, but I mean, also kind of going into like social media and like how you use social media to like also kind of promote not just your coaching, but, you know, uh, finding investors, I'm sure. Right. Uh, yeah. In on these deals. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Social media, you know, you can, you could find me anywhere, right? Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, LinkedIn. Um, I, I, I do have a team that helps support that. And I'm always trying to put some educational content mm -hmm. out. I want yeah. people a nugget, right? I want people to understand just like this morning, I, I, I put a piece out on LinkedIn that, that just talked about what's a syndication, right? Mm -hmm. Because I think a lot of people get hung up in the definition or terminology. And so exactly. I want people to understand what it is and how it works and, and how they can benefit from it. So um, I try to do a lot of education, whether it's video. Um, I do a couple of events throughout the year, uh, things that benefit people. I have a, a two-day summit coming up in October. So It'll be uh, exciting. And, and it's not just me, but I bring other other speakers on to talk about, you know, different aspects of the business. So. I love that. That's and amazing. that's in October? It is October 19th and 20th. Yeah, we're just, matter of fact, uh, let me, you know, if you have anybody uh, here who uh, listens to this and they want a ticket, I'll give them a ticket. So. Oh, Hey, you heard it here. Uh, I know. I, I think I know somebody who we could give it to. <laughs> you heard it first here. <laughs> you heard first it first here. I'll here. get the bag. There you go. There you go. <laughs> I love there you it. Go. I love it's it. In the bag uh, now. <laughs> <laughs> right. Oh my goodness. Uh, That's awesome. Well, I know we're we're approaching kind of the end, and again, yeah, I appreciate. It. I think you've dropped a ton of gems in and of itself. Um, you know, tell us sort of like. Because I, I think you maybe have mentioned it too, but if if, if you can do anything different from uh, even maybe the time you got started in multifamily, is there anything, uh, you know, besides maybe not listening to your attorney and uh, tax person then, but is yeah. there anything specific on the multifamily side that you would do differently knowing what you know now? Um, I would have got a, I would have got a coach from the beginning. I would have gotten a little bit more educated before I just, I, I'm a jump in with two feet kind of guy. Mm -hmm. um, right. You know, I take I take a little bit more risk than than the average person. I've, I've backed off a little bit, you know, between what happened and the older I get. You know, I think I have more wisdom today, but I still want to function or operate at a higher level. Um, so I would tell people, you know, and and you know what? Be careful about your partner and who you choose and the relation, you know, make sure that you are. You know, hey, I've gone into partnerships with people and, you know, uh, left because, you know, mm -hmm. trying to get so don't be afraid to walk away from from a partnership or uh, 
that might not be might not be healthy um, yeah for you that's a, that's a great tip i know tim you've gone through some partnership yeah. uh, in previous businesses and i think that's so key and why should anything you do, you you do put together have have it on paper have mm-hmm. you know have yeah. have a paper trail on that because things do go sour you know especially when money is involved so um, I love that. But those are such great tips. Um, we want to end it with uh, some fire questions. Uh, very short. I think just based off our discussion, I already know what you're going to answer with, but uh, we're, we're keeping it simple. This is a first time. We're, I don't know what we're going to call it yet, but we're just calling it hot fire questions where we're going to list off five questions. They have to be one worded answers. Uh, you can, you know, maybe add like a sentence to it. Um, but Nothing crazy. It's all related. Okay, okay great. Yeah. I'm ready. <laughs> I won't put you on the spot or anything like that. Um, so, Who's my uh, favorite realtor in Long Beach? Yeah, there yeah, you exactly. go. Yeah, exactly. That's, that's, that, we already, we already got that off the bat. So, yeah, that was a freebie. That was a warm-up to that. <laughs> um, small or large multifamily? Uh, 150 to 250 units is what I prefer. Um I, I try to teach coaching clients in the beginning, you know, one to 3 million could be 20 to 50 units in that range. Okay. Right. Perfect. Class A or class C? BC. BC. Mm. Value add or stabilize? I like value add. Mm-hmm. I like to increase the value. Perfect. Value appreciation or cash flow focus? Uh, I need to have both or I won't do the deal. Mm, okay that's a gem uh, uh yeah that's, that's that's a gem uh this one i think i know but well syndication or direct ownership uh syndication awesome i need to add those like sound effects boom 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 i know <laughs> you completed <laughs> fire round there you go done. uh mike that's it funny. was such a pleasure thank you so much for joining us uh we'll make sure i think i've added all of your information and how people can reach you on um, the show notes um, but thank you again. Uh, we'll definitely keep in touch and hopefully maybe we can do a, a deal together. Yeah, yeah for sure. Hey, I sent you guys the Tulsa deal to look at, didn't I? Uh, I think I got it. Yeah. yeah. I have a, yeah. I'll deep dive into it. Yeah. For sure. Look at it. If you, uh, you know, know anybody who might have an interest, there's, you know, we have, uh, plenty of participation opportunity left in it. So. Okay. Love it. We'll do. Yep. Awesome. awesome. Do you, is there anything that you want to leave people with before we leave? Yeah. You know, just uh, uh, don't lose sight. Don't let the market uh, changes affect you where you say that you can't do something, you know, don't put your pencils down right now. Keep underwriting. I think right now we're going to go into a time that um, will be some of the greatest real estate deals anybody's ever seen. And you can position yourself today in front of the next bull run. Mm. Why not be in front of it next time? It's awesome. I love it. Thank you again, Mike, for joining us. And thank you, everybody who was in the chat uh, and and commenting. If you have any questions, feel free to reach out to Mike. I I believe his uh, IG handle and and his website is on there. Uh, But we'll be back next week. Have a great rest of your week. Talk to you guys later. All right. See you.